This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, we um, have heard your word, and we pray, Lord, that um, you would encourage us and challenge us, and ultimately we pray that the words of Scripture, as we take them to heart, as we uh, make them a reality in our lives, would indeed transform us into the image of your Son, Jesus the Messiah, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Just like to start off by saying that um, on Easter, uh, Hannah Mole, who teaches our kids, she had the kids make this cross, this cross, these crosses, and on it it says, He lives. Yes, okay, He lives. Well, some of the kids didn't, being having English as a fourth or even a fifth language, God bless them, they didn't always get it right, and some misspelled. Uh, he lives. But one, that was very interesting, one child, I don't know who it is, but I appreciate, wrote on the cross, Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, it, this, this child could have been American because apparently 7% of all Americans believe that Elvis is still alive. <clears throat> And he has not left the building. I think we're going to put that in the Christchurch Museum. And it will be there for a few weeks until someone comes along and says, you're worshiping Elvis and we will have offended somebody. I, I hope Elvis is alive in Christ. I don't know. Um, I'm not his judge, but we are still in the Easter season. And uh, one thing I like about an Anglican or a liturgical tradition is that we, just, we don't celebrate Easter one day a year, or we don't think about Easter uh, at funerals. But there's a whole season in the church calendar. And this year there will be uh, seven uh, Sundays. Uh, there are seven Sundays of Easter. And uh, we often preach from the Gospels, but uh, during the, this, uh, this Easter season, uh, we're trying to um, be a little bit more mindful of the readings that we have from the book of Acts. And last week, we compared the um, reading from Acts chapter 5 with, with John 20, and uh, we'd like to do the same today, with uh, different texts, of course. Uh, the sermon, the talk today, does, continu- does continue or it does extend what we said last week and even the week before. And I'd just like to briefly uh, remind uh, folks who don't uh, listen to us in podcast land. And two weeks ago, we talked about what is it that holds us back or keeps us from knowing the power of the resurrection in our daily lives. Now, again, the resurrection isn't, when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about a person. It's so much more than a doctrine. It's so much more than a theology. It's so much more than something that we can fight about or argue about. Because many people fight about, uh, argue about these things. Uh, 
We're talking about a person. And of course, Paul in Philippians says that he wants to know the power, the resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And the week, uh, uh, last week, we asked, what was it? What was it that turned these disciples, these fearful, quivering, shaking disciples, they, you might have said that they were uh, members of the League of Trembling Israelites, yes? What turned them uh, into such bold witnesses for the risen Jesus that they're willing to risk their lives? And we talked about Acts chapter 5. And we proposed, at least, or we suggested um, that it was more than the reality of the resurrection itself. Because after all, there are millions and millions of people who believe in the resurrection, yes, but are not terribly courageous or won't take a risk or won't take a chance or refuse to receive marching orders from the risen Jesus. So it's not the resurrection itself. But we suggested that instead it was uh, a transformation that occurred when we come into a relationship, a trusting relationship, okay, with Jesus of Nazareth, the risen Savior. And that is summed up in John chapter 20 when the writer of John's gospel said, I'm writing all of these things to you so that you may believe. Now, in the, certainly in a Western, uh, the Western world in which we live in, the the when we hear the word believe, or we hear the word belief, we think of something intellectual. We may think of a certain profession, a certain uh, declaration uh, of our faith, but we should think of usually something that happens uh, in our head. But the word belief, and this is going to, by the way, uh, come into, uh, this becomes, comes into play a little later in the talk, and that's why I'm repeating myself. The word belief is so rich, especially as we hear about it in John's gospel. Again, it's not just some uh, assent or some, some saying, uh, something like saying yes to a doctrine, okay? He lives, yes, I believe it. But belief in John's gospel is a tr daily trust, trusting daily. In John's gospel is something that's continuous, it's something that goes on, you might say, minute by minute, hour by hour. And John's writing all of these things. His gospel is written for us, uh, for believers, for those who don't believe, so that we can come into this relationship. And further, the, there's this understanding of abiding. It's not just trusting, but abiding, abiding, staying with, being connected to, relying upon. And really, this, it, to sum it all up, belief in John's gospel is a commitment to a person. Being committed to a person, not an idea, not, a, not church history, not doctrine, but to a person. And here we have the stories, two stories, in Acts uh, and in uh, John's Gospel, in which two people, two famous people, Peter and Paul, okay, are going to have to make that decision, yes, to, 
to make that commitment <coughs> to a living person. And that, that living person and that commitment or answering that call or answering the, um, the summons, you might say, to be sent is going to be very costly. Now, we may not be Peter and Paul, but each of us is called. And each of us, God wants to send all of us into some kind of ministry. And I think by examining this, the, the similarities between these two stories, we actually, hopefully, okay, can uh, see what is involved, what the cost might be, and what the rewards are. And so you might say, well, how can you compare these two stories? There's, well, there's a, there's a lot of good reasons to compare the two stories. Um, I think first and uh, foremost that uh, Peter and Paul um, have very similar ministries. I don't know if you, uh, if you realize this, uh, because oftentimes... <clears throat> In the world in which we live, the Protestant world in which we live, we think of Peter as somehow being Catholic and Paul being Protestant and one being greater than the other. We don't know if one is greater than the other. We know that the book of Acts has a lot of emphasis, has a lot of emphasis on Paul because the message of the book of Acts uh, is about the gospel going to the nations. We don't know what Peter does uh, after I think Acts 11 or 12, we, his, his story is no longer included, but it may, it may, his ministry may have been equally significant. But what we know from the book of Acts um, is that um, both Peter and Paul have a healing ministry. They heal lame people. Um, both are defended by the Pharisees in front of the Sanhedrin, okay? Both appoint leaders with prayer and the laying on of hands. Both are accused of being against Moses. Um, Both encounter a magician, uh, someone who's demonized. Both bestow the spirit through the laying on of hands. Both raise a dead person back to life. Some Gentiles try to worship them. Both are imprisoned at a Jewish feast. Both are delivered from prison, and there are many more examples. So their ministries are quite similar, very, very similar. So I think we can compare the two stories in which um, they, uh, they are called. And by the way, like every good Bible story, there's a lot of juicy irony, is there not, in each of the two stories. Um, story number one, uh, at least chronologically speaking, is uh, Jesus calling Peter uh, or Jesus being reconciled with Peter. And uh, is it not interesting or even in a way significant, symbolically significant, that uh, Peter betrays Jesus over a coal fire? Does he not? And where is Jesus going to effect this reconciliation? Over a coal fire. Peter, for three times, of course, denies Jesus, betrays Jesus, leaves Jesus, you know, uh, at his most vulnerable. 
vulnerable time in his life. And three times, of course, Jesus will ask Peter, uh, do you love me? And of course, Paul is uh, it's, it's equally uh, interesting, is it not? Paul goes to persecute and even kill the disciples. And yet it's a disciple who ends up saving Paul. That disciple is Ananias. You almost might say that there are two quote-unquote um, conversion stories. Yes, in the Acts, one is Paul, and the second is Ananias. But in actual fact, is it, or is it possible to call what happens to Saul on the road to Damascus, can we call it a conversion story? Isn't it more likely that Saul is being called? He doesn't change religions. He doesn't change gods. He still <clears throat> remains a Jew. He just remains a Jew who's encountered the Jewish Messiah. So I don't know if we can characterize uh, the story of Saul on the road to Damascus as his conversion. You might say it's his encountering of the risen Jesus and his call to service. And by the way, Paul was not on a horse. So all the old pictures of Paul falling on the horse uh, certainly do not ring true with scripture. And Paul's, Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus is so, so significant that it's repeated in the book of Acts two other times. We have three accounts of this story and each account has uh, some, some different details. So certainly the early church um, thought that this story was, was important. And what do we learn from this story? What do we learn from John, the end of John's gospel? Maybe one of the most beautiful chapters in the New Testament, chapter 21, Jesus cooking breakfast for Peter. Well, I think both of these stories are a call they're about being called. They're about being sent. And both of them, yes, both of these stories really truly reflect the Easter message. <clears throat> because the Easter message isn't about just rejoicing that we're going to heaven. In every gospel and in the book of Acts, it's the risen Jesus who's telling his disciples and telling us, you guys hit the road, go. Okay, this isn't simply for your personal edification. This isn't for your personal well-being and happiness. It's not to give you goosebumps. Okay, it's uh, I'm sending you. I'm commissioning you. So every post-resurrection story, uh, the disciples, the followers of Jesus are being sent out. Now again, you might say, but I'm not an apostle. But still, nonetheless, all of us are called. Jesus said if, uh, at the end of John's gospel, as my, the Father has sent me, so I'm, I'm sending you. That's us. We're being sent. But we need to, <clears throat> we need to pay attention to, to, being, uh, to what it means to be sent. Because being sent, being called, comes with a price. <clears throat> it comes with huge rewards but it comes at a cost, okay? It comes at a cost. You know, the, the most, you might say, 
the classic story, uh, the classic default or pattern is God's calling of Israel. Now let's wait this for a minute. Let's think about this. God calls Israel. How does God, how does God choose Israel? Well, they're nobodies. They're nothings. And God, God goes looking for them, just like God goes looking for Peter and Paul. Yes? Peter says, I quit. I'm discouraged. I'm going back to my day job. I've let the Lord down. And who shows up looking to be reconciled? Not Jesus. Jesus isn't waiting in Jerusalem saying, I'm going to give Peter three months to come and apologize. Otherwise, I'm going to strike him off the list like, the, like, like that guy used to do in that television show called The Apprentice. You're fired. I don't know who that guy was, but <clears throat> apparently people say he's become even more famous. Jesus doesn't fire the disciples. When they've at their biggest failure, he goes looking for them in order to renew the relationship. That, by the way, happens all through scripture. When Israel fails the most, and when you think God has had it, and that he's going to get a divorce, yes, what does God do? He renews the covenant. He renews the relationship with Israel. But Israel is, why is Israel called? Israel's called not, you know, for itself, Israel's called to bless the nations. Israel's actually called for our sake. Yes? So it's the calling, and this is the calling of Peter, the calling of Paul. It's our calling as well. It's always for other people. It's not for ourselves. And so Israel is called to bless the nations. Israel is called to be a light to the nations. Uh, certainly the same thing is for us. And notice that it's, Israel's calling is not just to the nations, but it's in the context of a community and it's in the context of others. Israel is among the nations and it's called to the nations. Peter and Peter... Uh, is called to do what? He's called to shepherd God's, he's called to shepherd God's people. He's called to feed the flock. But again, it's in the context of community. Sometimes we think of our calling. We think of whatever the Lord is asking us to do. Somehow this is me and I'm going out to save the world, whether they like it or not. And of course, the story of Paul, is it not that, uh, again, this is Paul's, uh, you might say, his restoration. It's Ananias, Ananias, another disciple coming to pray for him. And Paul immediately becomes a member of the community. And so this is always done in a community. It's not, again, about I and me and mine. But you know, like Israel, like Peter, like Paul, like many of us, that if we answer the call, which I hope we will, if we uh, obey the command to go, all right, there will be misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. And there will be suffering. 
This always happens. And certainly it's happening in, with Peter and Paul. Peter is, Peter, uh, uh, the story that we just read, uh, Peter wants to know, you know, what's going to happen to him and what his future is going to be. You know, he, and earlier in the Gospels, he told Jesus, yeah, I'm ready to die for you. I'm going to die for you. Well, Jesus, after he restores Peter, and by the way, the restoration is in a very practical way. It's not only Peter, do you, would you please say you're sorry? Maybe, Peter, you can shed a tear. This restoration or Peter's repentance is very concrete. It's very practical. And then Peter says, well, what about these other people? What's going to happen to them? And there's good advice there. Jesus says, mind your own business. Don't worry about, is, is it not true that uh, we look around at other people and say, why is the Lord doing that? Why is the Lord giving them this? You know, and that we become jealous or we become unsettled that God deals with us in different ways. And we can't somehow just accept that God really does love us and care for us and want the best for us and stop comparing ourselves to other people. Yeah. And, other, and the ministry that God gives other people. So, and of course in Paul, what, is, what do we read about? What do we read about in the book of Acts? That Paul will suffer and that he will testify in front, uh, before the people of Israel, before the Gentiles and before kings. Notice, by the way, that Paul, even though he's the apostle to the Gentiles, still lives out the understanding that the gospel is first for the Jewish people and then for the Gentiles. And every place that Paul goes, virtually, he starts by, by sharing that message with the Jewish people and then going to the Gentiles. Okay? So there's suffering. There's misunderstanding. There's a cost. Now, my dear friends, there's a cost for us. Now, most of us, thank goodness, the vast majority of us, are not called to be an apostle. Although there are a few of us, a few people who appoint themselves as apostles in our day and age. But we're not called to be an apostles. And most of us will probably die peacefully in the hospital bed. Peacefully. Um, Thank goodness. But all of us are called. All of us are sent. All of us are under marching orders. And that, that marching order is go, go. And as I said last week, you may not be called to China. You may not be called to go to Sudan. You may not save the, you know, the, all the prostitutes of Istanbul or stop the, 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 the sex trade in Amsterdam. You might, be called to the per, to, you might be called to a life of prayer. You might be called to help your, uh, an old a homeless person who lives uh, in a shack across the road from you. Whatever it may be, there's a cost. Now we live in a world, especially the modern world amongst, we live in this world in which we are sometimes shocked that we might be inconvenienced by the message of the gospel. We want it all. Yes? We don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to deny ourselves. We don't want to necessarily give up our, you know, 10.30 coffee break and our 
20, what is it, a 10 euro cup of coffee from uh, Starbucks? Terrible coffee, by the way. <laughs> you know, the, 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 um, the motto of our generation, a very affluent generation, and that affluence in the West is coming to an end. But the motto of our generation is summed up in the words of that old rock and roll song, don't be denied. Don't deny yourself. Okay? That's, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to be denied. It doesn't work like that. There has to be self-denial. There has to be sacrifice. Yes? Whether it's a sacrifice of our time or our finances. Now, it shouldn't be foolish. It shouldn't come at the expense of destroying others or destroying our family. But we have to give. Now the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, Paul many times talked about his, his um, conver- quote-unquote conversion, his calling, his experience on the road to Damascus. Not just in the book of Acts, but in the, in the letters. And uh, usually Paul doesn't say, hey, imitate me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, Paul understands that position is fairly unique. But what Paul does say once in uh, Revelation, not Revelation, but in Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians 3.17, in the context of his calling, in the context of his uh, transformation of life, he says, brethren, Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And what what is Paul talking about? Paul here is talking about transformation. He's talking about being changed. He's talking about coming into that deeper relationship with Jesus in which we can trust him in a greater way and we can give him our future, our cares, our daily needs. And in order to, to be transformed, Paul, a few verses before, tells us what's involved. And this might be the most painful part because what Paul is going to talk to us about is something in a way spiritual and psychological and not physical. And Paul says, this is what he says, let's see, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. That's being transformed because it's a process that takes a lifetime. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. And Paul just listed, hey, these are all my credentials. This is all of my past. I'm a really religious guy. I've got, a, I've got a great family. I'm, in the, I'm a member of the Jewish people in good standing. And we can say, I've got good education. I've got parents who've been good, pious Christians for generations. I have uh, plans and dreams and uh, so on and so forth. And Paul says, I'm get, Paul says, and we all have to say, I'm giving that up. 
I'm giving that up for something better. And I'm straining, I'm pushing forward, right? To come into that place, that deeper knowledge of Jesus in order that I might be changed. And it comes at a cost, okay? It comes at a psychological cost, spiritual cost, physical cost, financial cost. And now let me ask it finally, the question I asked a minute ago, is it worth it? That's not the question, really. The question is, is he worth it? The, the pow- knowing the power of the resurrection, Jesus, is he worth it? And there's, here's, where our book, here's where the book of Revelation comes in, I believe. The book of Revelation tells us as follows. I hope you, Rui, sang it. It says as follows, worthy is the lamb. And what is the lamb worthy of? He is worthy of everything. He's worthy to receive power. Everything that we think of is power. And many, many people have a psychological, emotional need to be powerful. What is he worthy of? He's worthy of that desire for power or control that we so often have. Yes? What is he worthy of? He's worthy of riches. Our finances. The finances of this world. Yes? The things that make us secure. Because having power and riches, you know, somehow uh, makes us not only feel comfortable, but uh, gives us some kind of a future. He's worthy of wisdom. What do we consider to be wisdom? He's worthy of might and honor and glory and blessing. The lamb that was slain, the Jewish Messiah who still maintains a Jewish identity and wounds in his hands and his feet. He is worthy of all that we have. He's not only worthy, but there is an eternal, is there not, reward for, all of, for, for those who answer the call, whatever the call may be, who are obedient, but at the same time who understand that answering the call isn't about us having glory. The answer, the answer is about giving him glory. Yes? and paying the price. We will be rewarded if we pay the cost. Our temporary discomfort, our temporary inconvenience, our temporary misunderstanding by the, uh, the powers and principalities and the culture of our age will be rewarded by eternal life. Yes, that eternal life begins here when we trust and believe, when we abide, when we commit ourselves fully to a person, and it continues in heaven as, after we pass. May the Lord bless us and give us all courage, and may the Lord transform us. Yes.
so that we can be prepared uh, to see his face. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.